Well, it's uh, just wonderful to be with you today as uh, we do celebrate the resurrection of our Lord from the dead and we rejoice in his goodness to us. And as uh, we do that today, we're going to turn to Malachi chapter 4 as we open God's word. This is found, if you have one of the few Bibles, on pages 802 and 803. This is the last prophet of the Old Testament, and it really is a hinge point in the whole of the Scripture. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing for us. And this passage in particular is looking forward because there's going to be 400 years of darkness where God doesn't reveal himself to his people by prophets. Uh, People are in Jerusalem. They've come back from captivity in Babylon, if you know the story of the Bible. And uh, they've rebuilt the city, and it's not as glorious as it once was. But they are looking forward to a day that is coming. And uh, you'll note what the Lord is promising he is going to do here. Uh, Just simply draw your attention to the great promise of chapter 2 as we go ahead to read this in a few moments, that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. But let's pray before we read God's word and then unpack it. Lord, we thank you that you have promised that the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. We thank you, Lord, for the great promises that there are then for us in light of this great reality. And we thank you that the day of the Lord has come and that the day of the Lord is still yet to come as we await the final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we contemplate your word here today, that you would enlighten our souls, that you would cause us to see the glory and the splendor and the beauty of you, our triune God. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word, Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. For behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. There is a yearning in every heart to shine. There's a desire that all of us have to gleam and to show forth that which is good. And we see this in lots of different ways in our culture. Maybe you watched the NCAA tournament, which ended just a couple of weeks ago. And you know uh, the the very famous song that uh, the tournament ends with and is something of a theme through it. Uh, One shining moment. Uh, You reach for the stars and it has these student athletes, uh, cheerleaders and others who are longing for that one moment where they would really shine in their sport. It's, it's there in the heart of all of us. And what we're going to see, what I hope to convince you of from this passage is that God has made you 
to shine. But he's made you to shine in in ways that are even far different than perhaps you expect and anticipate. And it really is an implication of this passage. But as we unfold this passage uh, to to move in that direction, we're going to look at this in five different uh, sections here today. I want to see, first of all, the backdrop. And then in the next three sections, I want to show you how it is that your triune God, one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has really designed and made and remade people like you and me to shine in this kind of way and then to see the implications of it finally. Uh, We're told in this passage that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and there's the sense of that, that glow that will be there, the light that will be made visible to all nations and even to us. What does all of this mean for us? Well, first of all, we've got to see the backdrop of the promise that the Lord makes. Here, he's writing to people who are living 400 years before Jesus would come on the earth. And there was a a sense of darkness and gloominess and hopelessness. You see it here in the first couple of verses. He says, there is a day coming that's burning like an oven. And in that day, the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. They're going to be set ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. And, and if you look at the last verse, verse 6, there's the possibility of a decree of utter destruction that is going to come. Why is this? Well, it's because there is the, the gloom of sin and of darkness in the world. Other prophets spoke of the same kind of thing. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2, said, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. There is this kind of darkness that was over humanity and over the world because of our sin. And we know this experience of being in the dark and and groping about. Uh, You've likely had this opportunity when you've been awakened in the middle of the night for whatever reason, and you can't even remember what day it is. You you have this sense of terror that overcomes you because you you can't place yourself in your surroundings, and uh, you, you begin to move around and you begin to feel for what's around you. Maybe you realize it's time for you to get out of bed or you've got to get up to get the lights turned on. And then you discover why God made your pinky toe. It's to find the foot of your bed. It seems to happen every time, right? And you're groping perhaps for your cell phone. And because you're in the dark, you knock it off of your dresser. It lands on the floor and uh, perhaps lands on your other toe. And, and that's just a little sampling of the kind of darkness and gloominess we feel when we don't have light directing us. And and you know that it's far more serious than that because we experience this morally as well. And we experience it as we're groping for the way forward in life when, when we feel that we are in darkness and we don't know the way. And it is against this kind of black velvet backdrop that every diamond gleams the brightest. And this is the backdrop that the Lord lays for us here in the book of Malachi as people were looking forward to the one who was going to come who would bring light, but it hadn't come yet. And as we look at our lives, we see the same kind of darkness that that so fills our hearts. And yet the thing that I want you to see here secondly then, it is that it is the nature of God himself to shine. Against this backdrop, God makes this marvelous promise because of his great desire that light would be seen upon the earth. And we have to remember who this God is. Who who is this father? Well, he is the one who said 
in the midst of the darkness at creation, let there be light. And there was light. From the very beginning of creation, God wanted light to shine. And we see it expressed in other parts of uh, the scripture as well. God had promised uh, through Isaiah that not only uh, would there be a thick darkness on the people, but the Lord would arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And why is this? Well, it is because as the Apostle John writes in his first letter, in his first chapter, he says, this is the message which we, have, which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So you see, against this darkness, we see the light of God burning. And it is because God himself, as our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has such delight in himself such fellowship among the three persons of the Trinity that that cannot help but overflow into what he would make. Listen to what the Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote. He says, If God had not a communicative, spreading goodness, he never would have created the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was. Apart from the fact that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness, there would have never been a creation or a redemption. Why is it that light shines in the darkness? Well, it's because that's who your God is. And that's why he made this wonderful promise in Malachi chapter 4 that a day would come when the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings. And and we see this being worked out then when Jesus comes, and we're peeking ahead a little bit here, but when Jesus comes in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we begin to see something of this light and this love that exists within the Godhead itself. Jesus said this in John chapter 17. He said, O righteous Father. Now again, catch that word righteous there because the promise here is that the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings in Malachi chapter four. Jesus is speaking to his father and he's speaking in such a way that we can hear him even today as it's recorded in his word. And Jesus said, righteous father, I made known to them, that is to his disciples, your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is testifying to the great love that the Father had for him long before you were ever created. Long before this world was ever made. The love of the Father was overflowing to the Son. And we also see in Luke 10, Jesus showing the same kind of affection back to the Father in the Spirit. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Those were the words that he spoke as he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We're told by the author Luke. And then Jesus, again, expressing the same thing in John 14. He says, but I do as the father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Now, again, we're looking at these verses just so that we'll get a little peek into the relationship of God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. There is love that is expressed between them. And then what Sibs is saying is that that simply overflows into the world, into the creation that he has made, because that is the very nature of your God. 
And so Jonathan Edwards, uh, 18th century American theologian, he wrote these beautiful words. God is arrayed with an infinite brightness, a brightness that does not create pain as the light of the sun pains the eyes to behold it, but rather fills with excess of joy and delight. Indeed, no man can see God and live because the sight of such glory would overpower nature. Tis because of the joy and pleasure in beholding would be too strong for a frail nature. Why is it that we can't look at God and live? It is because he is too wonderful. He is too beautiful. And he is so full of that love and of that goodness and of that beauty that when he creates, it's for the purpose of showing his goodness. And it is for the purpose of causing the son of righteousness to rise with healing in his wings. And if we see and understand our God to be this kind of God, this kind of being, we can't help but want to draw near. You think of those people that you've been around who are of moral excellence or those people who are are just good at what they do. And when you're around those kinds of people, you find that you become a little bit more like they are. When you're around grateful people, what do you become? You become more grateful. When you're around the kind of people who are more loving, what do you tend to become? You, you tend to become more loving. You reflect that goodness. And so it is with us and with God, there is uh, something that compels us to see his beauty when we see him rightly in the scripture. And uh, as we do, we, we see that the words of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 are so true, which say, Beloved, let us love one another, For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is the great longing that the Christian has. We we want to draw near to God so that we can be like him, so that we too can overflow with the same kind of character, same kind of nature, the same kind of light, and the same kind of love that he expresses. His innermost being is light, and it is love. And this is what he expresses. And so this is why uh, God the Father would promise that the Son of Righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. And that moves us then to see how it is that God reveals this light to us, particularly in the Son of Righteousness, in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise is made here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, that there is this day coming when the Son of Righteousness is going to rise with healing in its wings. And you know how the historical event came to pass 400 years later. Jesus is born in a manger. And what was it that happened at the time of his birth? Well, the angel of the Lord appears to shepherds and the glory of the Lord, we're told, in the middle of the night shone all around them. When Jesus comes, there is light. And we see as 
his forerunner, John the Baptist, was born into the world. He was the cousin of Jesus, and he was promised uh, to be the one who was going to go before Jesus and basically make the announcement that Jesus has come. We do this all the time when people uh, come to our city. Maybe it's a political candidate or someone else who's very famous. We don't just have them pop up on the stage and begin speaking. No, there's someone else who goes before them to introduce them. And this is the role of John the Baptist. And in our passage here in Malachi, God had said, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Well, the prophet Elijah had already come years before Malachi wrote this. But he was a sort of figure that people knew to continue to look for because he was a prophet who'd done so many miracles. And he had declared the word of the Lord. And so as the people were looking for Elijah, Jesus shows them that that one who was going to be this Elijah, this forerunner, was in fact this man named John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was born just a few months before Jesus, you'll remember that uh, the angel appeared to John's father. And then John's father made this promise. He's speaking of his son in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 and following. He says, and you, my child, will be called prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is why John the Baptist came. And when John the Baptist came, it was like what I experienced yesterday when I was walking my dog before sunup, and you've had this experience too. You know that the world has been sitting in darkness through the night. The birds, children, have all been in their nests, perhaps hovering over their eggs, keeping them warm. But when those first Uh, The first glow of light begins to appear on the eastern horizon. Those birds begin to get up out of their nests and they begin to sing and they grow louder and louder and louder as the sun moves closer and closer to the horizon and the beams begin to break forth. Those songbirds cannot help but rise up and declare that day is here, that the night is past and that the light has come. And we walk then with a spring in our step because we know that this new day has come. That was the purpose of John the Baptist coming. And he declared the way for the Lord Jesus. And we see Jesus uh, demonstrating who he was through the course of his whole life. You, You see him at the Mount of Transfiguration where he was transfigured before his disciples. The the glory that was his was revealed to his disciples for just a moment, and we're told that his face shone like the sun. And his disciples couldn't stand to be there before him, but they fell on their faces because they had tasted of his glory and of his goodness and of his beauty. And Jesus reached out, and he touched them, and he said, Fear not. This is the character of your God. And John, the apostle, was one of those three who was there that day. And as he'd seen Jesus shine through the course of all of his uh, years that he had followed him, uh, the three years of Jesus' ministry, 
He, he reflected back as he wrote the gospel of John. And here is how he began his gospel. He said, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John saw that the sunrise had come in the person of Jesus Christ these 2,000 years ago. And here was the, the place where God had come to dwell with mankind. He went on in that first chapter to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And he went on to say, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. Is the picture coming together for you here? As God promises that the son of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings, he's made the promise from of old. It's coming because it's the very nature of God himself to shine forth and to make his love and his light known. And now in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God is showing us that splendor, that righteousness, that glory. But the amazing thing that happens then in the life of Christ is that as he moves through the course of life, people begin to hate him. People begin to despise this one who is the son of righteousness. And even the Greek philosophers of old had noted that this would happen. They said, if, if there's anyone who comes along who's perfect, you know what everybody's going to want to do? They're going to want to kill him. Why? It's because his humility shows up our pride. It's because his goodness shows up our evil that dwells in the crevices of our own heart. And so the people in Jesus' day, even his own people, what did they do? They rejected him. Because what does the light do? The light exposes us. As beautiful as it is, the light exposes the darkness of our hearts. The guilt that we know we have, the gloominess that we know we experience as we're groping for the way. And so what did the people do? They took Jesus. They condemned him falsely. They beat him. They spit upon him. They mocked him because they could not handle the light. They rejected him. And Jesus went to the cross. And while his birth had brought about brightness at midnight, as one author has said, his death brought about greater darkness than the world has ever known at midday. The darkness covered the earth when the light should have been shining the brightest. And the one who is clothed in glory from all eternity, who had humbled himself, hung naked in the darkness, until finally, all the light had left his eye. And he died.
Why? Why would God, who so overflows with light and with love, allow this to happen? Why would he do this? The the promise is supposed to be that the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings and he comes into the world and we put him to death. Well, it is because of God's light and because of his love that he would do this. Because you see, what was going on there upon the cross is the one who is the son of righteousness who never did anything wrong took in his body on that tree the sins of all of his people. He he took our darkness upon himself so that it might be put to death and so that we might receive his righteousness, his life, and his light as ours. He did that to satisfy the wrath of God the Father against sin, against the sin of people like you and me. All the light had left his eye and the darkness was as deep as it would ever be. But on the third day, his lifeless body in the tomb, cold and dead, all of a sudden came to life. His dead heart began to beat. The blood began to pulse through his veins. And he lived. And as that stone was rolled away by the power of God and Jesus emerged from that tomb, the son of righteousness truly had risen and the rays of hope beamed forth from that place those 2,000 years ago with the promise that all who would believe upon him might have that life and that light. And if you're sitting here today and you know the darkness of your own sin and all of the wickedness that you've done through the course of your life, you would know that the light exposes you. But dear friends, the light not only exposes us, it also brings healing. Because this is what our passage said. He rises, the son of righteousness, with healing In his wings, he has come in order to bring life to people. And all that he calls us to do is to place our our faith and our trust in him, the one who is the light of life. He is the outshining of the Father's glory and he has come so that we might experience it. And he's done it by taking away our shame, by nailing our sins to the cross. He takes away our fear and gives us his confidence because his resurrection is not only his resurrection, but it is our resurrection to new light and life as well. And so what are, what are we called to do? We're called to see, as J.R.R. Tolkien, the, the author of Lord of the Rings, has said, the, the great catastrophe that the event of the resurrection was. You know what a catastrophe is, right? It's a horrible event that takes place that changes things forever. And we really don't have very many good words that describe the opposite of that. So he coined his own, a catastrophe. It's a good catastrophe. It's, It's something that has totally undone the world order and makes all things new. That is the nature of the resurrection. It is so that that light could pour forth once again upon the earth and we might know the love and life of God.
And so uh, one author, uh, Mike Reeves, says, Contemplating Christ now is rather like seeing the morning star at the break of day, both enchanting and full of hope. It is light for now the promise of so much, uh, light for now with the promise of so much more to come. It is the taste of heaven. If you've seen the light of Jesus Christ, it brings joy to your soul in the moment and it causes you to know there's a whole new day that is here. There is all of a sudden we understand a resurrection that has become, has, has come to pass in the first fruits of Jesus being raised from the dead. And it has unleashed a torrent of a resurrection that is to come that cannot be withheld. And this is the, the beauty of how our God works. And so how does he bring this to us then? Well, he does it by shining his light upon us through the Holy Spirit Uh, The son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings, but you'll notice that something else very exciting happens here. There's healing for us. And there's also the imagery of what happens because there's a change that happens, not just in that we see light out there, but something different happens in us. We're healed. And we're told here then that we're going to go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, unfortunately, most of us have grown up in the city. I had the privilege of growing up with a bunch of sheep and cattle on my parents' small farm. And when a bunch of sheep have been all penned up, and you've got lambs that have been born to their ewes in the spring, but they've been in the barn all this time, they've never seen what the outside world looks like. And when you let calves, or when you let little lambs or goats out of their stalls, they walk out a little cautiously at first and they begin to sniff the green grass and they begin to nibble at it and eat. But then they start to realize, you know, there's nothing constraining me. And the lambs begin to jump a little and then they begin to run and they realize they've got springs and they begin to, to run in such a way it, it's most entertaining they, they kick their legs up until they literally go uh, horizontal. Uh, you know, instead of being vertical, now they're horizontal, and then they have to land once again. And you'll get a pack of five, of 10, of 20 little lambs or goats or calves, and they just go bananas chasing each other around the pasture because they realize they're free. They realize they're alive. And it's so exciting that they, they jump higher and higher and higher until, of course, the first one falls and collapses on his face and then all the others tumble over them and they, they land in just a huge pile of joy. And you know what else it does? When you have other children like me, when I would see that, you, all you can do is stand on the sidelines and just laugh and giggle because you recognize there's a newness of life that has been brought And you know, this is what your God does. He's not just a God who is light and life and who causes it to spill over into creation so that you can sort of see it out there. No, what does he do? He brings it to bear in my heart and in yours. And we're told how he does this in Romans chapter five, verse five. He says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There is something that happens in the heart of a person who's been made in the image of God when they look at Jesus. The Holy Spirit changes us 
through this overflowing light and love. And Martin Luther makes an interesting observation that both humbles us and it gives us hope. He writes this, the love of God does, the love of God does not find, but it creates that which is pleasing to it. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. And then get this. He says, therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. You don't have to sit here and ask the question, well, am I pretty enough for God to love? See, this is what the love of God does. God knows that we're sinners lost in sin. And he sent forth his son, the son of righteousness, to rise with healing in his wings so that his mercy might be shown by pouring his love into the hearts of people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And he makes them alive. And he makes them lovable, right? He, he, he makes them attractive. His love is poured out so that we experience his light and his love. And that's why God is proclaiming this word to you today. If you, are in your, if you are dead in your trespasses and sins today and you think, I'm not really sure I want to see the light of God, then what you're called to is repentance from your sin and to plead that the Lord would show you his mercy and his grace so that you might taste and see how good he is. His light shines into the darkest corners of this world, including our own hearts. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we see his light, we are filled with joy and with gladness. And we go on then to shine like Jesus. We, we go on to look like him. Um, I know I've said it before, but it never ceases to amaze me, uh, especially if your skin is on the lighter side. If you drink enough Sunny D, your skin will turn orange. It's been proven. You, you take in enough of that orange juice and you will be changed, even in your very countenance. Well, how much more then if we, as God's people, have the love of God poured out into our hearts will we not show that same kind of countenance and light? This is what we mean when we say God has made you to shine. He, he's not simply come so that his light and his righteousness would shine on you and say, yes, there's God, he's worthy of praise, but he comes to absolutely transform people so that they shine. And the remarkable thing is that he takes us who were grumbling and full of complaining, who were filled with sorrow, and he makes us full of thanksgiving and joy. And he allows us then to shine even in the darkest of circumstances. You see, what he doesn't promise to do is make our lives perfectly good and easy and pleasing. But rather, the Apostle Paul, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he goes on to speak of what the light of Christ in us does. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. How is it that we shine? We shine in the midst of suffering. We shine by taking up our cross daily and dying like Jesus died. And this stands as a testimony before a watching world. But it is how the Lord takes us and he makes us to shine. The the backdrop of the gloominess of sin still exists. And yet his spirit in us gives us the power to live differently. When God's love comes, we, even in the midst of our greatest trials, are able to sing out with joy to God because we know that we are united to the Son of Righteousness who has risen with healing in his wings. And so then even those relationships, like the relationships of children and fathers, as we see here in verse 6, that have been broken and have been severed, can be reunited. And we understand the, the way in which we are united to God's people from across all time. And there's a reconciliation that comes among the people of God as we Uh, reflect his glory. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, and uh, we'll we'll, uh, begin our conclusion here. He noted that the stars were designed by the creator to be a picture or a type of the saints. The spiritual seed of Abraham, the seeming multitude of them, which is much greater than the real multitude of visible stars, was designed as a type of the multitude of the saints. What Edwards is saying here is that, yes, Jesus is the son of righteousness risen with healing in his wings. But God says that we're supposed to shine like the stars in the heaven, little suns, as it were, who gleam forth with the glory of God. And where does he get this idea? Well, he gets this idea from Genesis chapter 15, where God promised Abraham, your children are going to be like the descendants, uh, are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And he reaffirms that promise in Genesis chapter 22. He says, I'm going to surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God says in Psalm 147 that he determines the numbers of the stars and he's given names to all of them. And he's Referring, as we see, as the scripture unfolds, uh, not just to the stars that he's made. It's true of them as well. But he has designed us to shine in that kind of way. And as we move into the New Testament, we see Paul writing in Philippians chapter 2. He's uh, saying that he has remade you so that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And the prophet Daniel, as he's anticipating uh, these last days in which we live, he's thinking of the people of God and he writes this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God promises that we as his people are going to shine like stars in the sky because he has caused the son of righteousness to rise with healing in his wings. This is a promise, brothers and sisters, that is far beyond anything we could comprehend by ourselves. 
But it is the promise of your God who is light and life. And who has given his son, the son of righteousness, who's risen this day with healing in his wings so that you might know that healing. So that you might know his joy. So that you might shine as stars in this world even today. This is your God. And this is his promise for you. Let's believe him by faith. Lord, we do come to you with faith in our hearts. We thank you that Jesus is the one who is the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And we thank you that he says, come. We thank you that he is the one who has come to us and who invites us to himself. And we thank you that we look at him this morning and we recognize that he is risen from the dead, that he has come to bring healing to the nations and to us as well. And Lord, we thank you that he, through his Holy Spirit, has poured his great love out into our hearts. And we pray, O God, that you would give us grace, that we might shine like the stars of heaven as we look to your Son by faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.